Well, in antiquity, after a Roman general emerged victorious from a war campaign, he would receive a hero's welcome in the empire's capital. He would uh, parade alongside the prisoners and the treasures that he had uh, accumulated on behalf of Rome. And it is said that as he exalted in the public's adulation, a servant or even a slave would sometimes be tasked with repeating in his ear, repeatedly whispering in his ear, remember, thou art mortal. Remember, thou art mortal. In such circumstances, one can imagine how our sinful inclination towards hubris might cause us to forget, even if for a moment, our finitude, our weakness, our vulnerability. In our delirium, we forget that dust is our destiny. But in the end, the delusion dissipates its time. That terrible and tenacious tyrant takes us to the tomb. Death, the very subject that we all wish to avoid, even to the point of being unmentionable, in the end, subjects us to its rule. We all die. As you know, this summer uh, we've been going through the Psalms, and this is something that we've been doing over the last Psalms, and Richard uh, Harris, our senior pastor, wants us to do this so that at some point we would have gone and preached throughout, through the entire Psalter. And one of the benefits of this is that sometimes we have to preach through Psalms that don't always fit nicely in a topical series because of the cheerfulness that you might find in them. Psalm 49 is a psalm about death. It's about its tragedy, its ubiquity, its inevitability. And yet, as we shall see, even in the midst of this darkness and terror, the brilliant light of the gospel bursts forth in glorious splendor. So let's turn now to Psalm 49. Please listen to the reading of God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear toward a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give God the price for his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever." their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning." Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, 
for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we're going to be looking at this psalm by considering four points, four themes that the psalmist addresses in this psalm. In verses 5 to 9, we see the debt. Verses 10 to 12, vanity. In verses 13 to 15, hope. And verses 16 to 20, tragedy. Debt, vanity, hope, and tragedy. But first, let's look at the prologue of this psalm. Verses 1 to 4. Here it is again. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Because the subject matter of Psalm 49 is universal, so it's its intended audience. Again, look at verses 1 to 2. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. Though the psalmist has not yet told us, I will remind you that Psalm 49 is about death. This is why it is pertinent to everyone. As Lynn manuel Miranda observes in Hamilton, death doesn't discriminate between the sinner and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. Sinners and saints, low and high, rich and poor, all die. So everyone needs to listen up. This psalm is talking to you. And now the psalmist has our attention and he tells us why his words are worth our time. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Now, here, the, 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 verse 3 sounds almost like a fulfillment of Psalm 19, verse 14, where the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In verse 4, the psalmist reveals his source of wisdom and understanding. It is God's word and God's spirit. He inclines his ear to a proverb, and he solves the riddle of death's grip by the music of the lyre, which is how prophets were inspired in antiquity, with the music of the lyre. It's another way of appealing to the inspiration of God's spirit. So from the outset of Psalm 49, the psalmist declares that he brings a message from God and that every person would do well to lend him his ears or her ears. You see, Scripture is not simply wisdom for man. Ben Franklin's Farmer's Almanac contains much wisdom uh, intermingled with humor. But Scripture is not simply like that. These words are our very life. It's wisdom from above. It's wisdom from God himself. 
In verses 5 to 9, then we see, after this prologue, the very first thing that the psalmist brings to our attention, and that is the theme of debt. The theme of debt. So think about this. We're starting off with death and with debt. What a cheerful morning this Lord's Day is turning out to be, right? Verses 5 and 6. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? At first glance, the image the psalmist paints for us is that of a man surrounded by rich and powerful enemies who unjustly seek to do him harm. In Hebrew, he literally refers to the days of evil when iniquity is at his heels. As if with every step that he takes, he realizes that he's stepping on cursed ground and he's unable to escape the ravages of sin. Perhaps you have experienced this kind of anguish when it seems like all sorts of troubles surround you, springing from adversaries that are bigger than you, that have more resources than you, and that are intent in hurting you. And there's nowhere for you to turn. There's nowhere for you to run. There's no respite. There's no relief in sight. With every step that you take, you realize that iniquity is at your heels, like a serpent that is persecuting you. Yet verses 5 and 6 are a question which the psalmist asks. He says, why should I fear? Well, excuse me, but you just told us why. Because the days are evil. I have nowhere to run. Iniquity is at my heels. Well, verses 7 to 9 provide much needed clarity at this point. Look at what it says again. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. You see, the psalmist makes it clear that whether one is powerful or weak, whether one is rich or poor, whether one is a persecutor or is being persecuted, we all experience death. No one will live forever without seeing the pit, he writes. So that asymmetric advantage that our adversaries boast in dissipates when we realize that death is the great equalizer. Our problems may be pervasive and our persecutors may be powerful, but whether they get us or not ultimately makes no difference. Because every human being has a much greater problem. The problem of sin and death. Again, everyone dies. We don't like to talk about it, but the fact remains. To ignore the issue is to lack perspective. But it's not simply death that is the problem. The problem is that it's unavoidable. That it's inescapable. And the reason for this is that we have forfeited our right to live. This is why verses 7 to 8 refer to a costly ransom that must be given to God. Again, verses 7 and 8, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Ransom is a word that comes from the sphere of commerce, and in antiquity it especially referred to the payment required to purchase a slave's freedom or to deliver a prisoner. In other words, what verses 5 to 9 make clear is that every human being has a debt that he cannot pay. 
He cannot pay his own debt, much less pay someone else's debt. The Hebrew makes it clear that we cannot redeem even those who are closest to us. As it literally says, no man can redeem his brother. And the debt we owe God, the debt we owe God is perfect obedience. Perfect obedience, that's the debt. The covenant that God made with Adam at creation was that if Adam obeyed God's law, then he and his household and his posterity would enjoy the blessing of eternal life. But if Adam sinned, then he and his household and his posterity would surely experience the curse of death. That was the deal. And that is the deal. God requires perfect obedience. We all have a debt that we cannot pay. And with each sin, our debt grows greater. This is the sobering reality which Psalm 49 describes. Our ransom must be paid in a currency that we don't possess. Holiness is that currency. We don't have it. Our market values other currencies. And in those denominations, we accumulate our wealth. Which brings us to the second point, and that is in verses 10 to 12, the focus on the theme of vanity. Look at verses 10 and 11. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Our society does not traffic in the currency of holiness. If you even bother procuring counterfeits these days. In our markets, the value of biblical holiness has plummeted. Instead, we fill our wallets with things like knowledge and prestige and fame and material possessions. These are the things that we value. These are even the carrots that we dangle before our children's eyes as we motivate them toward getting good grades in school or excelling in various extracurricular activities. Do your homework. Go to practice. Put in the time and you will be handsomely rewarded, we tell them. And of course, it's not that these things are necessarily bad. No, the problem is that we have made them ultimate goods. But the psalmist tells us in no uncertain terms that none of these possessions can ever cover our debt. None of them. Knowledge won't save us. Just as much as the fool, the wise perishes. Whether one dwells in a house of straw because of his foolishness, or in the splendor of an ivory tower because of his wisdom, dust shall be his final abode. Nor can material wealth change our destiny. The psalmist reminds us that the poor takes with him just as much as the wealthy does when they breathe their last they end up in the same zip code, whether in this life they were homeless or they lived in estates that boasted names. We shall take none of our wealth with us. The Mexican proverb proves true. Nadie, nadie sabe para quien trabaja. No one knows for whom he labors. The psalmist exposes our vanity in verse 12, where he declares... Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. 
we can hear the preacher of Ecclesiastes crying out, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Our English translation loses some of the urgency and futility that the original Hebrew conveys. In Hebrew it says, man in his pomp shall not pass the night. Shall not pass the night. One can't help but think of Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. There Jesus describes a rich man whose possessions grow plentifully. So he decides to tear down his barns and build larger, larger ones so he can store his grain and his wealth. And the rich man tells his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God responds, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? No one knows for whom he labors. Jesus concludes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man in his pomp will not remain. He shall not pass the night. Rather, he is like the beasts that perish. Verse 12 is a refrain that is repeated at the end of the psalm with a slight modification, and we will unpack the tragic implications there. But for now, it suffices to conclude that the reaper is no respecter of riches. The reaper is no respecter of riches. So we've talked about debt and about vanity, which brings us to the third point, a point which at this point we eagerly anticipate and hope for, and that is the theme of hope. Hope. But before we get there, before the splendor of God's glorious grace shines forth in verse 15, the psalmist first takes us deeper into the valley of shadows in verses 13 and 14, so bear with me. Look at what it says. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. With vivid imagery, the psalmist paints a procession to perdition a march to misery, a descent toward damnation. With unfounded confidence, fools flaunt their philosophies. Even as a new, their newfound fame causes flocks to follow them in their folly. Perhaps like me, you are amazed at how accurately this describes the worst aspects of our society, where social media has enabled every foolish and uninformed opinion to enjoy a virtually unlimited platform and where popularity and provocation and partisanship wield a greater influence than do wisdom and prudence and expertise. It's hard to imagine a more timely admonition for us and our children. We must be weary of embracing ideas and values simply because they enjoy widespread approval in society. Popularity is a perilous path and a poor pastor. Popularity is a perilous path and a poor pastor, and so the blind follow the blind. Deeper into the valley, oblivious to the fact that as verse 14 states, death itself is their shepherd. It is impossible at this point not to consider the contrast that this psalm highlights over against Psalm 23. 
where the Lord is the shepherd of his people, a shepherd who prepares a table before them. Or with John 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his own sheep. What a different shepherd death is. He consumes his own flock. How often have we not heard Pastor Richard from this pulpit remind us that sin never delivers what it promises, that it never takes us where we want to go. No, sin is death's handmaiden, tasked with preparing the table where her master will swallow you up. Unless we wrongly assume that the suffering of that wretched estate has an end, the Hebrew disabuses us from such hope. The word consumed in verse 14, where we read, their form shall be consumed in Sheol, literally means to become old and worn out. The image is that of death continually feasting on its subjects, wearing out their form, gnawing away at their souls. And it's precisely at this moment, from the very depths of the pit of despair, that Psalm 49 shines the light of the gospel. Look at verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. This is one of the but God statements in Scripture that fills the believer's heart with joy. Our sinfulness puts us in God's debt, in bondage to sin and death. A life of perfect obedience is the ransom price that is required and that we cannot pay. Our destiny, apart from that ransom price, is the grave, the gates of Hades, the pit of despair, where we will continually waste away as death incessantly gnaws away at our form. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He himself pays the price. He purchases us. He delivers us. And of course, he does this by sending his only begotten son, the eternally pre-existing son of God, who takes to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, becoming truly human, becoming the second Adam, the last Adam, who perfectly obeys the law of God and then offers himself as our atoning sacrifice. Jesus himself tells us that that's why he came. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Peter drives this point home in his first letter where he writes, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God." the Son of God, pays the ransom price with his own blood. 
Again, the psalmist says, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. What glorious words. God receives all the glory because our salvation is entirely his work. Again, this is even more clear in the Hebrew, which literally reads, but God will ransom my soul from the hand of Sheol. He will take me. The image is not of God passively receiving his people. Rather, having purchased us by the blood of his son, he storms the gates of Sheol and takes from Sheol's hand that which belongs to him. There is no greater hope nor a more secure inheritance than that which is kept by the very power of God. So Psalm 49 has revealed our debt, exposed our vanity, and pointed us toward our hope. Lastly, the psalmist warns us of the tragic end in store for those who forsake this great salvation. Look at verses 16 to 20. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his palm, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish." as if to lower our gaze from the glories of heaven to the wretched reality of this world and rebellion and to remind us of the precarious position of people trusting in their possessions and prestige. The psalmist repeats the warnings that form the substance of this psalm. Tragic is the end of he who trusts in his treasure. Tragic is the end of he who trusts in his treasure. The tragedy is underscored by the psalm's refrain, which we see in verse 20, where once again we read, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. The verse is almost identical to verse 12, but now the psalmist emphasizes that the man who will not remain lacks understanding. The man who does not understand is the man who does not see, who does not discern, who is blind to the truth of God. In this regard, he resembles the beasts that perish. Man, whom Psalm 8 tells us, was made a little lower than the heavenly beings, whom God at creation crowned with glory and honor and gave him dominion over the works of his hands. Man, who is the only creature made in God's image, did not believe God's word, but believed the words that came from a talking beast that serpent of old, and became subject to death on that very day. What tragedy. And as God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, he covered them in animal skin, so they literally bore the image of the beast upon them. They who alone were invested with the image of God at creation. Tragic indeed. And now, how many of us spend our lives accumulating earthly treasures, treasures that we will lose, and take as much care of our immortal souls as a beast does, a beast that doesn't have that immortal soul? 
This kind of hubris is worse than that of the triumphant Roman general at his victory parade. The glory of his exploits made him vulnerable to forget his mortality. Remember, thou art mortal. Remember, thou art mortal, whispered in his ear time and again. But fallen man in his pomp lacks discernment, lacks perspective, lacks understanding, and forgets his immortality. And he perishes, having made as much provision for his eternal soul as the beast. Psalm 49 cries out to us, Remember, thou art immortal. Remember, thou art immortal. Paul in Ephesians 4 quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, which describes the victorious Messiah in his glorious military parade. If Christ is your Lord, then Jesus has ransomed your soul from the hand of Sheol and has delivered you from the bondage of sin and death. If Christ is not your soul, your Lord, Christ is not your Lord, then you belong to another shepherd. Death shall be your shepherd, and he will consume you, says the psalmist. Listen to Psalm 49. Remember thou art immortal. Place your trust in Christ. Make provision for your soul by turning to him and accepting the ransom that God has provided for his children. As the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus, made, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In Psalm 49, the psalmist hoped that one day God would ransom his soul. And in the fullness of time, he did. Let us therefore take refuge in our Redeemer, for through his ransom, God will receive us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our Redeemer. It is in him that we take refuge. You have provided him for us as a ransom, a ransom that he pays with his own blood, with his own life, so we are no longer subject to lifelong slavery. Indeed, we are not subject to the shepherd that is death and that will consume everyone who follows him. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us understanding. Father, I pray for those who are here who don't have that understanding, who are still following that terrible shepherd. Lord, would they, by your spirit and through the word that they have heard this morning, would they turn to the Redeemer, to the only ransom that is worthy, to the only ransom that you have provided. May they trust in him, turn to him, and may so be delivered from that terrible destiny and instead be heirs of riches that are so wonderful we can't even imagine them. We do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.